Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. On episode 47 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, myself, Adam, Jeremiah, Scott, and Lou are all Pellegrini out after that awful performance against Arsenal at home, and we look ahead to the Southampton match as well as answer some Hammers polls questions before closing out this episode of the Green Street Hammers podcast. Keep it locked. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We are here with you live for episode, I think this is 47 now. Uh, they're stacking up, and you know, episode forty-seven is here. And as Scott mentioned pre-show, there's really nothing to talk about. Things are smooth right now for West Ham. There's no topics, nothing really need to worry about. Uh, just kidding. It's December, and the sky is on fire because West Ham have one win in their last ten matches, a possible uh, five points out of a possible thirty, and as well as a position in the uh, in the League Cup that's gone awry. Um, but before we get into the chaos, uh, it's a bit of a more packed house today. Jeremiah, how you doing? You know, it could be better. I think the last time we talked, we were kind of uh, hoping for a wishful next podcast, but it hasn't quite turned out that way. No, more of the same for me as well. Scott, how's Australia treating you? Yeah, it's it's been okay. Weather's been uh, hot and cold, but, uh, you know, West Ham's bringing me down to earth. <laughs> as is tradition. And Lou, how is England? Uh, very nice. We get about one one hour of sunlight in days now, so <laughs> that can tell it's coming up to Christmas. Love it, love it. All right, so <coughs> excuse me. The seasonal depression is here as well, with just the regular real depression of being a West Ham supporter, and uh, nothing says the holiday season quite like that. Uh, Lou, I want to come to you first. Um, 
when you saw the team selection against Arsenal, there were there was not two strikers. Antonio was deemed fit enough to play. Uh, we had the same, essentially the exact same team, well, identically the same team that played Chelsea. <coughs> and Yarmolenko was dropped from the bench. Were you at all surprised that Pellegrini had stuck to his game plan? No, not at all, because he stuck to his game plan for the last year and a half, to, and this is where we find ourselves. I think he's proven to be proven himself to be quite uh, stubborn in terms of his ways and tactical uh, inflexibility. So, no, I wasn't surprised. I was hoping, like you, that he would play Antonio off off Allaire, but I wasn't uh, realistically expecting it. Were you guys able to hear my coughs there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it came it through was on the recording. Off, I'm not going to lie. Sorry. I muted my mic on the recording, but not on the call. So hopefully it didn't come over there. I'm dying on an almond right now. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, the stubbornness has been an issue with him all, all along. Jeremiah, any, any pre-match thoughts? Was it nerves? Was it excitement? Arsenal have been just about as bad as West Ham recently. You know, I think I was honestly excited. I, I kind of predicted it was going to be a boring match. Uh, I think I actually predicted nil-nil. So I wasn't expecting a lot out of it. And, uh, I couldn't have been more wrong, but, you know, kind of like Lou said, I think we all knew the formation probably wasn't going to change. I mean, even last season, I think we saw it change maybe once or twice, but that was with injury or that was, uh, who knows what that was, Pellegrini maybe changing his mind. Um, but it was nice to see Antonio up front. That was kind of the excitement level for me. The The rest of it was all kind of the same, but uh, yeah, definitely predicted boring, and I think we got the complete opposite. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty fair as well as we're concerned with, you know, Pellegrini setting up his team, how it really inspired the the squad to play. I, I don't know. I, I don't really see too much as, as far as the team really playing for him at this moment, just based off of it being the same squad that's picked every week. Scott, when we look specifically at Arsenal, and when we look at the first 60 minutes of the game, it, it was there for the taking for West Ham. They were really the team, despite possession numbers being heavily in Arsenal's favor, it was really all West Ham that were causing the problems. We were causing problems, but I think that was due to Arsenal's just absolute... I'd, I'd, I've never seen an Arsenal team fail to pass out the way they did there. They couldn't get past a press. They were Their, their possession was boring. It was miles within their own half. There were players giving the ball away left, right and centre, and they were there. And we created chances despite our system not because of it we didn't actually create them in a formulaic way we didn't look to expose a weakness we just hoped the players would come up with something and it took a set piece to really undo them and with all of this um talk about lack of pace and this kind of thing in the side uh, I think that was shown but I also think we just uh, Pellegrini just doesn't know how to adapt for it he's got a squad the manager's job is to deal with it and we we scored the one goal and we had a couple of other chances we didn't have we didn't create chance after chance after chance if, if that Arsenal performance had been against any other team in the Premier League um, I, I think they would have been 3-0 down at uh, 60 minutes because they're there was just so many opportunities to find a striker in a good, good area. There were uh, to create overlaps, and we weren't doing it often enough. Um, despite our uh, despite our dangerous uh, look. 
And something you brought up there is basically that it's the manager's job to deal with the squad that he has, and you know he should be able to adapt the system to his team. Um, <clears throat> just looking at the the starting the starting lineup and the bench players and going through it, David Martin his signing, Ryan Fredericks his signing, Balbuena his signing, Ogbonna was here, Crespo was here, Snodgrass was here, Noble here, Rice as a midfielder is his signing, Fornells his signing, Felipe Anderson his signing, Mikel Antonio was here. Zabaleta was here, Roberto, his signing, Sanchez, his signing, Allaire, his signing, Diop, his signing, Mazuaku, not his signing, and Holland uh, brought up from, from the under-23s. You could replace either one of them with Yarmolenko. The majority of this team is his players, so regardless of whether he's been quote-unquote backed or not, um, if you want to break it down to brass tacks, he spent 50... $3 million on two strikers and decided to front load that on a 45 million pound striker target man who works in a two or three that he wants to play by himself. That to me is a fireable offense. It should, it should void any, any payout as well. He knew the player he was getting. Actually, he clearly didn't know the player he was getting. He just saw a big price tag, European football scores goals, spend all the money. Husilios, my best friend and get this guy in here. And he refuses to play him. Like you'd said with Antonio, like many people were anticipating and it's really starting. Well, it's, it's far past starting. It, it shows the cracks of West Ham's team, but also him as a manager. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of individual performances. If you look at, if you look at Chelsea Rice's performance against Chelsea, help seal that win without him that game would have been completely different same with Ogbonna those two players are players that have been here before Pellegrini and are papering over the cracks of his system right now same goes with Mikel Antonio Scott you said it this team is not playing and creating chances based off of any systems or training that they've developed it's off of individual performances it's off of Antonio running up and pressuring the keeper to give the ball away at midfield and then you know we, we eventually win a corner out of it Look at Fornells. He was signed as a... We needed a center mid. He was signed as a center mid. He's played right mid, left mid, both wing positions, center mid sometimes. And his best position apparently is left mid, which he's never played in in his career as far as I know. Like These are players stepping up. Crespo having three goals this season is ridiculous as it is. Ogbonna being an everyday starter. David Martin as our keeper right now. Like Nothing makes sense with why this team is where they are other than the fact that the manager is directionless. And I think... Uh, it's just so frustrating to me. Uh, Lou, I want to come back to you here on the goals. We saw goals from Martinelli, his first Premier League goal, obviously. Nicola Pepe got his uh, got a great goal off of Mazuaku. Uh, Yang, who had been really stifled all night, decided to show, show up for one play, scored a goal. Ryan Fredericks played him on side. Uh, <laughs> were you shocked when three goals went in in, in nine minutes, or was it like uh, sort of a... Ah, uh, there's the West Ham that I know and love. That's who I assumed was going to be here. Yeah, I was I was quite shocked when the first one went in because I thought we were in cru- cruise control, really. And I thought if anyone was going to get the next goal, it would be us, if not stay the same scoreline. But once that first one went in, I was not uh, surprised or shocked at all to, you know... I was kind of looking down at my phone to see everyone's reactions and I didn't even see uh, Pepe's going. I just heard it on the TV rustle the back of the net. I just shook my head and then by the time Aubameyang's went in, that was that really, wasn't it? We never even looked or threatened like we were coming back. It, the thing is, it wasn't even like it was the 85th minute and there was no time to come back. We still had a good chunk of normal minutes. time and... Yeah, and seven minutes of added time as well to at least try and come back in the game. But it just looked like once that third goal in, everyone's heads dropped. 
all the players. I think even the fans knew by that point. And uh, it was summed up by Pellegrini. He just slouched in his chair. I think he got up once to give a few instructions and then went sat, sat back down again. So it was no wonder that we looked pretty toothless after that goal. And after the Aubameyang goal. Something that was really not taken advantage of, and this is, again, the cries for managing on the fly and situational managing. Uh, Hector Bellerin was meant to start this game. He got injured in warm-ups, and uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles had to come in and, and start that game. Uh, he was the second choice right back, was not preparing to start on the day. He's a young kid, so obviously he's, he's got the fitness to do it. But you look at their left back. Kieran Tierney got a rare start, and then he separates his shoulder, and they bring in Siad Kolasinac, who had a groin issue going into this match and was only on the bench because Bellerin got injured. What did we do? We kept Robert Snodgrass out on the right wing. We didn't switch Fornals there or Felipe Anderson there or bring on... Uh, we didn't bring on Holland when we were still in an attacking position where he can run at him on the right side, which is not his natural position. We didn't take advantage of the the in-game situations. Maybe I don't know if you have a, if you have a player like Noble who can literally say, "I'm seeing this opportunity here. We're not being told to do anything about it." Felipe, get on the other side and run at Kalazanac all night. Kick the ball down to the byline. I don't care if it goes out. Make him sprint after you the whole time because their team's in in trouble with with injuries here. Nope, none of that was done. There was no situational managing, and it's just example after example. It makes you wonder what the hell the point is of, of waiting till Southampton. If we get a win against Southampton, is everything fine? Like, that makes no sense. But, again, we'll get to that in a second there. Uh, Jeremiah, I want to sort of get your thoughts as well. I know you said you, you, you didn't catch the first part of the game live, but when you turned it on, three goals went in. You didn't really get to see West Ham play in the first half. And, and Lou, you and I kind of had a little back and forth on Twitter just about I thought it was good pressuring from West Ham, but you were more of the mind, as, along with Scott, that this Arsenal side was really just giving up the game in the first half or the first hour. Uh, what were your thoughts not having seen that first 60 minutes for West Ham? Yeah, not having seen it, I was obviously disappointed. Um, to kind of answer your question, I shocked a little bit, but also not. I mean, we've had that reputation that once you know the opposition gets a goal in, then they're bound to get another one and possibly another one just because the just the psyche of the players and the way they've been. So it, it wasn't too shocking to me. I think the fact that it came in nine minutes and, and like you said, it was literally right after I turned the match on. I was like, all right, there's one. I went back to work. I looked and it was 2-1. I went back to work a little bit and looked again and it was 3-1. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And uh, you could just see it. You could just tell that uh, the, the heart was gone. And, and Lou, you mentioned Pellegrini. Every time that the camera kind of panned over to him, you could see, I mean, he either looked slouched down, he was talking to one of the assistants, looking confused. There was nothing going on in there that inside of his head of what or how to fix it. So frustration is for sure. And I did go back and watch, um, kind of watch the first half from what I could. And, uh, and yeah, I think Arsenal just didn't play. They just weren't on a very good side. And, and we kind of let him in. And all in all, that should have been a match that we could have easily taken over the Wolves match. And uh, we didn't do it. And now... We're on to Southampton, and the question marks are all still there. And as a, as a bridge to that Southampton match, I wanted to start with you, Scott. Uh, we, we know Pellegrini's not going to be sacked this week as far as all of the ITKs and reporters uh, are, are suggesting he'll have the Southampton game. Um, I know I, I set my alarm extra early this morning um, not to get into work on time or even before I needed to, but rather to see the uh, club statement tweet that came out. 
Uh, there was no club statement. They actually marched David Martin out to say uh, to give his thoughts on, on West Ham yeah. giving up a win from a from a winning position. Uh, where was the breaking point with you and Pellegrini? I, I was listening to Talksport Radio today, and and they talked about how the three wins at the end of the season last year sort of again to use the expression papered over the cracks because th- there were big question marks about West Ham's strength. They started off poorly. They had a little bit of a run in the middle part of the season. Starting in September, I think, last year, they, they sort of straightened things out after that uh, Felipe back heel against Manchester mm-hmm. United and, and went on a bit of a run, and then their form dipped, and, and <clears throat> Marco Arnautovic decided to make it all about him. The team suffered as a result of that, again, relying on him as a forward. And then at the end of the season, they win three straight games to sort of surge up the table a little bit to a mid-table spot, and you know, we, they they get the summer to, to reevaluate. We see all the right PR message being sent out, but now the wheels have just fallen off, and, and even our run of good form this season had really not been. There was there were no real impressive wins. It was always an, an issue with finishing. There was an, always an issue with with set piece defending and in being ripped open on the counter on the counter attack. There's also been an issue with our fullbacks defensive coverage, our midfield being hollow. Where was the breaking point? Sorry, I, I, I added too much context to that. No, that's fair. Everyone's very passionate at the moment and very much just uh, want to say everything on their mind. Uh, for me, there were so we beat Man United and then we lost to Oxford in the um, League Cup. And we went on a run against teams that we really should have been challenging at least. Uh, teams that we sort of see ourselves up against, so Bournemouth, Palace, Everton. Uh, and then teams we should be we consider ourselves to be bigger than at the moment uh definitely in the context of this year's premier league uh sheffield united newcastle and burnley uh and we got no wins i think we got two draws against sheffield united and bournemouth yep that's awful that's not just that's not just like uh oh it's a bad dip that's six games that's it's over a month's worth of time to deal with whatever your problems are. There's probably an international break in this. You've probably got two months where nothing was really fixed. Nothing was addressed. And Pellegrini seemed to go, well, this team worked for me before. I'll play them. And this is what happened again with Arsenal is we played the same team we played against Chelsea. We didn't go, oh, I wonder what, we can really do to Arsenal. We went, this team worked for us before, we'll have to stick with it again. It's such turgid, uh, like rigid management that we're, like when Pellegrini came in, he was changing systems, he was trying to move it up and I was I was all for giving him time while he was doing that. And even at Manchester City when he was there, he tried to move people around and play open, expansive football. But here he's kind of gone, I like playing attacking football, but I don't really know how to do it with this squad. Uh, this team won. I'm just going to hope they do it again. Uh, I, I th- I'm very much in agreement with your comment about managing on the fly. We should have exposed. We should have tried to attack their wingers and then uh, create space in in, in uh, the number ten position because their defence and defensive midfield were miles apart. And the, even the commentators were saying it. The commentators who are you know just paid pundits on uh, TV, they were talking about how big that gap was between uh, defenders and defensive and if they're seeing it and our, our manager isn't, that, that's awful. Inexcusable. Um, and I say for me that period, and then we came into like the Tottenham match and Chelsea, and I think the Chelsea game it really just made thing like 
I, I, I still think with big teams, so your Tottenham, Chelsea, Man United, Man City, less an extent Arsenal anymore, and like Liverpool, you're, they're bonus points. When you win those matches, you shouldn't be saved from your job on those results because I wouldn't look at you worse if we lost them. Uh, so if we lose 3-0 to Liverpool, I go, okay, they're a great side. I, I don't think any worse of you as a manager for that that isolated match. So when we win, they're bonus points. It's just the, the, they're just free hits for the manager. The the man the the teams we should have been beating, teams we should have been Marco Silva's Everton have been dying. We lost two 0 made them look like uh, like Barcelona under Guardiola. They they were moving the ball around us like we we didn't really understand what football was. Um, and then when we had that awful match against Newcastle, and Steve Bruce, I mean, Steve Bruce is out thinking, you, uh, really? Are we here? <laughs> it's, I, I just, I don't know. I, I really, I was a massive fan of the Pellegrini appointment. I really, really wanted to do well. And I, when we signed him, I was talking about how the three years were going to go, how, uh, if he was going to sign beyond that. I, I didn't see him failing, and it's just proved at the moment he's just not capable of dealing with our squad. And whether we've got a squad that's well capable of getting us to the areas we want in the Premier League, that's another question. But right now, Pellegrini isn't the right man. Lou, I want to come to you and sort of ask the same question. Was there a specific instant or match for Scott? It seems to be just the the stretch of Oxford to Burnley that really broke him down, as you know, exposing. <clears throat> Pellegrini is not the man for the job, but was there a specific game or instant where you thought, oh, Pellegrini just isn't up for this anymore? Um, I'm not going to say this is when I thought Pellegrini wasn't up for it, but even when we were winning games in the in the first part of the season, I think we were getting, bar the Norwich match, we weren't playing particularly well. And in those games, I'm sure you'll remember... There was a run of games where teams just kept kept missing sitters against us. Yeah. There was one in the Watford match. I think it was Will Hughes. Man United match at 1-0, I think. The Brighton um, match. Missed the Brighton match. Um, and even the Norwich match, I think someone missed a sitter when it was 1-0. And those, those signs, even though we were winning, I was happy. I was very reluctant to get excited about what the season could bring because you know everyone raves on about their expected goals and whatnot now but our expected goals even during that winning run was uh, I think it was like near the bottom of the league like ex- expected bo- goals conceded uh, but yeah even during that run of games I was reluctant to you know get too ahead of myself because I knew once teams did start converting those chances against us that we really would be punished and now we're seeing like not the benefits of it but the uh, the team's benefit the opposition's benefits are now them getting three goals a match against us and it doesn't look like it's going to stop being so, that kind of defensive performance anytime soon so is it fair uh, to say then that starting you're- with Southampton was it fair to say then, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, that, that there was never really a point where you were totally back in behind supporting Pellegrini as far as our results were concerned just because you didn't see them as convincing wins or draws? No, I, I was 
I was behind Pellegrini, but at the back of my mind, I was also being real realistic about the situation, and I could kind of see this kind of run of form coming, even if I didn't really admit it to myself. Fair. I kept like, as I say, I noticed like the performances weren't great, and we kept conceding chance after chance. But I kind of put that to the back of my mind and wanted to remain positive as we were winning games. But now, people are teams are converting those kind of chances against us, and we're getting battered every week. So it just seemed like an inevitable thing. Jeremiah, do you have a point in the season where, where you sort of flipped a switch and thought uh, Pellegrini out? Yeah, there was a pretty specific time. I, I think I think the whole Pellegrini out thing, not for me, but just in general, what did it start happening right around the Palace loss? I think uh, somewhere around that time frame, but. Really, right after that, the and then Everton, we lost two nil. Kind of in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna give him like another month. I'm gonna give him like three, three to four matches, and then we go in and I think we drew uh, Sheffield, and then you know lose Newcastle, got blown out by Burnley, and then the Tottenham match. And so for me, uh, it was the Tottenham match. Once, kind of that was the last kind of um, kind of last stand for me it was just to see if he could figure anything out, if we could do that and pull it together. So it's unfortunate, obviously, then the very next match we go ahead and beat Chelsea um, and, and everything kind of seems to be okay again, which we, we know it wasn't going to be. But, uh, yeah, for me, I guess a long story short of it was right around the Tottenham match. I think kind of wanted to remain positive in hopes, uh, like you said, Scott, that we that Pellegrini could pull it out. I mean, I was very excited about it when we got him in and just wanted to kind of have this hope that he was going to turn out, that he was going to be able to switch it, change formations, change things on the fly, and uh, none of that really planned out. And so for me, can specifically pinpoint it to after the Tottenham match. Perfect, perfect. For me, <clears throat> and I think maybe a lot of people sympathize with the situation, or, or probably that's the wrong verbiage, agree with, with the assessment. Um, for me, it, it, the thoughts started creeping in at a rapid pace when we lost to Oxford 4-0. Um, we should never lose to Oxford 4-0. We shouldn't lose them in general. We shouldn't allow, allow them to score 4 and then we should also not be able to not score against them. I understand it, it was a huge upset for them. They were up for the match. We had a lot of B-level players in that squad, but our B-level should be beyond their A-plus level, just based off of where the two teams are sat right now. Um, and then when I saw the when I saw the highlights, the quote-unquote highlights from this match, and I, I saw my first glimpse, because it wasn't televised, I saw my first glimpse of Roberto. That was alarm bells ringing in my head. When he just sort of like shuffled to the side as a ball went in, I was I was blown away by that. I thought maybe he had pulled a hamstring and couldn't dive or couldn't get back to back to his feet if he went down. To me, that's a that was a massive red flag as far as um, player recruitment goes. This guy was going to be the the starting keeper ahead of Fabianski, so I have no idea what I assumed was going to you know was going to follow this. And and for me, the real point was the Everton match. Um, that was two teams who want to be the team that breaks into the top six, that have these aspirations for taking their long histories and you know their time in the Premier League and using that to propel them into the new look top six and both of these teams just sucked at this point in time and, and to, to, to have Everton really beat up on us in that manner was was not was not at all you know I don't even know what to say it, it just was so demoralizing to the point where I sort of that was my last straw. I lost patience with that. Next was the Sheffield match, and everyone 
Everyone said against Bournemouth, oh, bite your hand off for a draw when you're away at Bournemouth. It will then Sheffield United come to the London Stadium after West Ham are beaten there by Palace two weeks prior and and grind out a, a draw. And, you know, it, we just aren't a team that tactically is able to play our own game, and it, it started to be exposed by other teams. Um, they started looking past the team sheet and realized it doesn't matter. They could have Ronaldo on the, on the pitch. If he's playing in the system, I don't know if it's going to make that much of a difference. So... Uh, for me, it was Everton, and it's been downhill since then. But it wasn't, as Luke aptly pointed out, it wasn't necessarily uphill before that. Despite the results being positive, the performances weren't great uh, in, in many of those occasions there. Uh, well, so very quickly, Adam, you mentioned it. What is our system? If any one of you can actually explain the way we play, I'd be very happy. Um, our system is to i <laughs> yeah i uh i get i our system this is what i think it is let me try to answer this our system is possession based football where we hold onto the ball and try to find those deep runs in to to spur on offense we haven't done it i don't think since maybe the maybe the uh uh man united match where yarmolenko was sort of up committed forward more so um, I think that's what our system is, but that's a poor system. And it, we also haven't been able to do that in two months. As I say, the, the way we set up, when you, especially when we had Anderson on the left and Yarmolenko on the right, the thing we should have been doing was getting those two to drive inwards at the fullbacks or even at the centre-backs, um, using Allaire as a focal point and having the fullbacks uh, get down the line. Uh, that's where you get your width from. But the, I don't know if Anderson and Yarmolenko and Snodgrass have all been told, don't run at your man. But we haven't done that in ages. Uh, Anderson is a great dribbler, but he hasn't taken it past that the fullback or even tried to. I'm not even saying he has to go past him every single time, but just have that. Have that in your army. And it's been, I say like for the last few games, I've been watching going, how does... Pellegrini think we're going to score goals and I haven't been able to answer it and that's that's my most concerning thing he, he's almost reliant on Allaire to come get the ball and set up the play but then he also wants him simultaneously to be in the box central to win a header if the fullbacks put a ball in so it makes no 100%. sense 100% yeah I mean Allaire was signed from Frankfurt where they played a two striker system uh, and he was playing with a very good striker and we've given him no support and then moaned at him when he's not done well. I mean, I know his his efforts dropped off in the last month and I, I can't forgive that. But to start off with, he was scoring what when he could, when the chances fell to him. But his game is to link people. And there was when there's no one within 20 metres of you, how are you meant to link them? He's meant to be getting the ball into feet or the ball into chest and then laying off. And none of that is happening. Uh uh, do, does anyone have any final words on, on Pellegrini as far as the tactics went for this match or, or, or the, the final straw that broke uh, the camel's back proverbially before we move on to the situation at hand and, and Southampton coming up? No, I think we pretty uh, much touched you guys have summed it up pretty well. Okay, fair. Nothing okay, so that, I agree. So we all woke up and saw the sad news of there being no press release and Pellegrini is still our manager. Uh, the the uh, let me pull up the tweet from X here because I want to verbatim say exactly what he said uh, and you know he he had specified uh, that 
there were issues with his phone's connection to uh, Wi-Fi or to uh, being able to send a tweet out. But he got his news and he said four hours ago, which is 12.30 uh, Eastern Standard Time, just got it. So patiently waiting. For the the tweet that came to him was from uh, Ben Samuel. Patiently waiting for ex West Ham U employee update on Pellegrini situation. A lot of spelling mistakes there. He's clocked off work for the day and got some internet connection back. Um, X said, "Just got it. This is so frustrating. Now as my phone is full, but in a nutshell, he had the, he has the Southampton game as said yesterday. Lost, uh, lose that, and he will go. Options being weighed up. Um, again, no one's perfect, but boys, work on your spelling. Um, the the <laughs> situation with a C instead of an S. Uh, Pellegrini won out. Anyways, uh, as as much as the grammar issues are frustrating, this belief that somehow an inspired effort against Southampton will change anything with this club is ridiculous. The only silver lining in my head is that they're basically saying We're, we've moved on from him. He's going to have the 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 Southampton game and he'll be gone on Monday regardless of the result because in my mind or Sunday because in my mind I'm thinking they they can't seriously think anything can happen in one match that would change anything is my estimation right there you know I hope so uh, I think that uh, already I, I, going. No, I, I hope so I think I hope you're right in the fact that you know they've already got this idea of uh, you know Pellegrini's on the way out and we're going to give him one more match and that's going to give us time as the board to figure out who's going to come in I truly hope that's what the issue is, but I have a kind of a sick feeling in the back of my mind that if we come out and we beat Southampton, which we should, well, maybe we will, but realistically we should, and uh, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh well, he won, so we're going to keep him in now. Like we we're we're basing the team that he we're giving him one last thing off of of winning when they're right around us. We should be basing it off of teams that we are where we're supposed to be, the Arsenal's and the Chelsea's, not kind of where we are. And that's that's in my opinion. So I hope you're right in that. But uh, it's it's really disappointing to see. Lou. Yeah, I just feel like it's a completely wasted game. If if what you say is true, and they're going to sack him regardless, because I think based I know Southampton are doing bad currently as well, but they're at home and they've got a striker who actually scores goals. So I think we're rightly. Uh, not favourites for that match anyway but Pellegrini just with Pellegrini is just metaphorically a dark cloud hanging over the club at the minute and I just feel like whoever takes over for this match um, will probably do a better job than him just based off the players having that weight off their shoulders that they're not just stuck to this clueless system and tactics anymore and whoever takes over could possibly you know, try something new. I know, I know, uh, we're not used to that, but I feel like we desperately need the three points because obviously this is very early on in the season, but we're getting dragged down into it, and the further we get dragged down, you know, the harder it will be to get out of it. And if we're giving Pellegrini one game, just you know, based on nothing and he is going to get sacked anyway, then I think it's a bit of an idiotic decision by the board uh, overall. And if it's not based on that, and he will be given an extra run of games if we do beat Southampton, where does it stop? Like, Does he get sacked after that if we lose the next game? Do we have to lose the next two 
how long does it go on for? I wonder so if they, I think, would they have the gall to say to him, like, you better not put out one striker against Southampton. Like, I wonder if they'll say, like, well, you can basically pack your stuff before the match if you're going to start one striker. I don't know. Is that too much to do for an ownership group? If he knows he's going anyway, then he's not really going to care. It's kind of like the last half of Big Sam's final season where he knew he was going. So um, our form took a turn for the worst completely, and we ended up with far down compared to where we were in the first half of the season and I guess this is like this but just for this one match and if Pellegrini doesn't care he's not going to motivate the players and therefore we'll probably take a thumping on the net Scott I want to get your thoughts on the situation I know you're an admirer of Eddie Howe um, if if West Ham had basically been negotiating a deal for Howe for the last two weeks, and you know after this Southampton match, win, lose, or draw, they sack Pellegrini and move on to him, would you be happy with that appointment, even though it's been sort of a few wasted fixtures? Yeah, I, I would be because I think what we've had, I think the Chelsea win was a fluke. Um, the Wolves match was going to be tough. Whoever was in charge. The Arsenal match is a shame to have missed an opportunity to get someone in who would have added some drive to to the side. Um, but look, three matches shouldn't define whether we go up or down, especially if it's uh, against Chelsea, Wolves and Arsenal. Um, the teams we do need to be beating, like Southampton, uh, yeah, that's that's the worrying one because like you were saying, who, uh, what's he going to do? I th- to be honest, I think Pellegrini's gone. I think even if, if, if Pellegrini wins 1-0... Um, he goes because uh, unless, unless it, there is, there has to be a clear show of a system being implemented that the players understand that works and that's so hard to do in a single game um, so what are you really asking for you ask him to just sort of like, like uh, Luke said you just ask him for him to sort of hang on by the skin of his teeth until the end of the season I don't really know um, but I would be happy with how we've actually got a week off as well, which is very nice over this Christmas period um, due to the Liverpool uh, game being moved. So we'd actually get, he'd get, or if you fired Pellegrini and signed how or Kovac or someone please with a little bit of inspiration behind them. Um, I've seen Tony Pulis um, mentioned and oh, I nearly cried, but uh, yeah, the, uh, if we come, come somewhere with a little bit of inspiration behind them, they've got 10 days before the next fixture, something like that, and you get some chance to get that little bit of happiness in the training ground, uh, a system implemented, and then we turn up uh, Boxing Day, and we can actually, you know, we go to, uh, go to Crystal Palace, and we can give it a go. We can take our attitude there, and show what we can do um, if Pellegrini's still in charge at Palace it, I don't really know what it says it's what, it, what does it say about the club that we're just willing to accept someone not trying someone not doing their job properly if they're hanging on to above relegation zone I mean that's that, if we're worried about relegation we've won, won 1 in 10 that's relegation form that's bottom of the league form that's not yeah. that's not like Oh, it's a little bit iffy. It's it's quite literally the worst form in the league. That is over ten games. That's awful. So 
I watched the Southampton game, uh, the next matchup. They play. They played Newcastle. They actually lost. <laughs> they lost on an Andy Carroll cross to John Joe Shelby for a <laughs> header. The cross was beautiful. I couldn't believe it when it happened, and it made my heart hurt so bad because Andy Carroll, Chicharito, Lucas Perez—they're all like, they're all just doing stuff for their new clubs, and it makes me so sad when I see where we're at, um, and we're reliant on a right winger to play striker for us instead of our forty-five million pound striker. Anyways, they they played really well in this match. Uh, they they. Danny Ings cannot stop scoring, which is crazy to me. They had 19 shots directed towards the goal four and actually ended up on target, but they outpossessed Newcastle. They outpassed them by a, a substantial amount. They, they drew more fouls. You know, they, they had a huge amount of corners, and it's largely based off of them playing uh, playing with two strikers and Shane Long getting in behind on those long runs. Nathan Redmond as well and uh, Gineppo, their, their new winger on the right side. Those are really quick wingers, and they get supported really well by their fullbacks in Bertrand and Cedric and and you have guys like Hoiberg who stays back further and Ward Prowse who is dangerous from every set piece that he's on whether it's a corner kick or a free kick this Southampton team maybe it maybe it's uh, maybe they lack a little bit of that final uh, final third action, but they are a team that can make you pay, and, and they've been on solid form recently. Uh, outside of this Newcastle loss, I believe they had two wins and a draw before it. So everyone's talking about this game, and you know when West Ham wins it, uh, what's that going to mean for Pellegrini? I do not think West Ham are the favorite in this match, and they shouldn't be if you're betting. If West Ham are the favorite, I would hammer Southampton if you're looking for some betting advice from me. Uh, just because I, I think... The players may love Pellegrini, as it's said post-match by Declan Rice, I believe. I just don't know if they respect him as their manager. They may respect him for what he's done in the past. I don't know if that same respect is there for them. Uh, and I don't know, looking at that Southampton team, if there's any players that would get into my side. I, I don't see it happening. But, Jeremiah, when you look at this game and you look at the and you look at the lineup from Southampton that they're going to put forward, you know it's going to be a 4-4-2. Two strikers, Danny Ings, he's always Johnny on the spot, and then you have Shane Long who, who can get in behind it as well. They have Che Adams on the bench who was a West Ham target uh, when uh, when the summer was ongoing and, and we were looking for more striker targets. Uh, do you see West Ham getting a result here against Southampton, away to Southampton? Uh, I think if you would ask me this question like a month ago, probably, maybe, and hopefully, but... Yeah, kind of the form that they're on, and, and you mentioned a lot of the heavy hitters, and two that kind of stand out to me are Ings and Ward-Prowse. I feel like they can kind of score, you know, whenever they get the ball, and whenever it's on their foot, they can kind of score as of late. And yeah, I am actually a little bit concerned about this match. I guess you could see in a way, I mean, kind of jokingly, that they would use this as a uh, as a tipping point. If you can win against this team, then maybe we should keep them, because they've been playing pretty well. And uh I, yeah, I just I don't think we're gonna get a result out of this. I guess if we do, maybe it's a really boring draw. But I'm not seeing three points come from this match. Scott, do you, are you are you excited for this match? Do you see a result coming for West Ham? No. Um, one of my uh, friends from school is a reporter for the Athletic, and he uh, he covers Southampton. So I've been following like what they've been doing uh, just more closely than that would be normally. But he is, I, he has been talking about their finishing issues, but they, they stood, they've got a system. They know what they're doing. They've got uh, Ings who's been trying to get in behind. Uh, so Redmond, um, the wingers have been really pushing up high, getting balls in. They've had so many shots, and that worries me against a defence like ours, which 
just concede so many shots. I think we're we might be top for shots conceded per game or something. Um, maybe Norwich are higher than us, but on shots conceded per game, I think we're one of the highest in the league against one of the teams that takes most of, like more shots than others. It's not looking like it's going to be a fun game. If we win, it's going to be by Southampton's poor finishing and uh, a bit of luck, maybe an inspired performance by Martin in golf. Um, that that shouldn't save a manager, and I'm not I'm not excited because I don't know what I want out of this game. I don't know what I'm going to expect. I don't know what's going to happen, and it's all very it's a very confusing time for West Ham. And Lou, we're going to end with you. Do you see any silver lining to this Southampton match, win, lose, or draw for the Hammers? Yeah, the silver lining would be uh, Pellegrini will be gone. Uh, like uh, Scott, I'm a bit kind of confused as to, to how to approach this match on a fan level. I mean, I never want West Ham to lose, I don't. But subconsciously, if it's for the greater good, and we eventually get rid of Pellegrini and get someone, you know, someone who can inspire the players, and then maybe it will be for the best. Yeah, I, I'm begrudgingly in the same mindset there, and I wonder if the players are also there. But it's it's tough to say that or put that pressure on them. Guys, let's move over to our friends at Hammers Polls questions. Uh, they always. Uh, they always have the, the pulse of the West Ham fans here, so we'll answer some questions there to end out the episode as per usual. All right, to the Hammers Bulls questions. We are looking at the first one here. How long do you give Pellegrini to turn it around? After Southampton, till Boxing Day, end of the year, or needs to go now? Jeremiah, what do you got? Needs to go now. I think we've all kind of touched on it, but there's no point in him being here. Lou, what do you got? Yeah, I think we've covered it, like you say. I think we're all in agreement that he should go now, if not after the Saints game. And Scott, you the same? Yeah, how long does it take to write a P45 for whoever is to fire someone in the UK? That's how long <laughs> I'd give him. So, oh, yeah. Uh, all right, do you think uh, results would have improved if Fabianski had not been injured? Scott, yes or no? I think our results would have improved. Uh, I think that he is a good keeper. Um but the big point is to note that until Fabianski, or I, I think it was actually before we knew about Fabianski, Roberto last year was our first choice uh, keeper signing, but he wasn't available, and then Fabianski became available. So if you're looking at a sign that maybe our uh, people in charge of recruitment don't always know what they're doing, uh, I think that's it. Love that. Lou, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's no doubt there's a few few games you can point out where Fabianski would have kept us in it but I think this whole picture is just a sign that that would have papered over the cracks and that's probably what he was doing uh, a lot of the time last season when he was saving our losses every week as well and Jeremiah points up but issues remain let me guess that's your thought (laughs) yeah yeah, I kind of agree with everybody else on that one. And there's a video going around on Twitter, or it was, and you can probably still find it, of just, it's a compilation of all the uh, Fabianski saves. And uh, 
it's pretty incredible some of the ones that he has saved. I think we over the year kind of got used to it and just kind of accepted it to happen. And then once Roberto came in, going back and looking at those saves, you're kind of shocked. You're like, oh, this guy really has probably saved us on more than one occasion. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same for me, and 74% agree with that. I think the 26% are basically saying that um, – we still would have lost regardless. Um, okay, Jeremiah, we'll come back to you for this one first. Um, and it's more of a hypothetical because none of us are season ticket holders. So um, uh, I just want to put it out there. The question itself is, if you follow the Hammers home and away normally, uh, has this drop in form stopped you from buying tickets on the road? Uh, I'll change that to, if you were a home and away supporter of West Ham in person, would you boycott the team uh, and not go to the matches? Jeremiah. No, I would still go. I think, um, I mean, obviously sitting in the current situation that I'm in, yeah, I would absolutely uh, go to that 100% every single time. But I would still go. I mean, boycotting it, I understand it. Protesting it, I understand it. But you have it. You're there to support the club. I mean, go and support the club. So that would be me as I'm never holding season tickets. That would be my answer. Lou, are you supporting the team through thick and thin, or are you giving a boycott? No, I agree that... I mean, even Newcastle fans haven't really boycotted. They still sell out every week despite having Ashley for the last 10 years. So I don't think we should. I'm hopefully planning on, well, hopefully. I was planning on going to a few games over Christmas. So, uh, yeah, I still am, whether Pellegrini is in or out. But the the problems will remain whether we boycott or don't. So. Who would have thought Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce would make West Ham look like a poor-run club? Scott, are you boycotting them if you had season tickets home and away? Uh, no, I mean, I have to get up at ridiculous o'clock most days to watch. Um, and all that's changed is that I I do it and groan that I'm getting up to do it. Uh, there's not, not really a spring at the moment, but it's... Uh, yeah, I think that's the same thing. People will be applying for these tickets out of right, love for the club. And I think there's better ways of showing your displeasure. I think stuff like people have sort of boycotted the first 10 minutes of matches and stuff like this, or but not that, not showing up and expecting the team to really respond well to that is, is really hard. Um, but I think there's ways of showing displeasure to management. Obviously, you try and hit them in their pockets, but there's always going to be ways that they can make their money. Um, so, yeah, I don't think boycotting is the way forward. Fair. Yeah, I, I'm of the same mind. I just wish I could see the games home and away, to be honest. But uh, uh, we'll move on here. Uh, the, the next question uh, comes from uh, Hammers Polls, of course. Uh, come, it's come, Rumors are coming out that Carlo Ancelotti's job is not safe at Napoli. Would you have the 60-year-old to replace Pellegrini? Just as some background, uh, they're currently Napoli's currently sitting 7th in the table. Uh, their recent form is 3 draws and 2 losses in their last 5 games. They did just beat Genk 4 nothing today in Champions League. Um, but uh, the question still remains. If Ancelotti is dropped, would he, would he be someone that you would consider? Uh, and would you also look at him to basically be a viable option? Would he say no to West Ham? What do you think, Scott? Uh, whether he would say yes or no, I think is really hard to argue. Uh, like We don't know what's in his mind, but I think given his successes, uh, I'd be interested in him. Uh, whether or not, uh, depending on who else was available, I don't think it'd be my first choice because we're after someone who has that uh, uh, potentially more youth outlook. But to say no to a manager like that, uh, at least to start, would be strange. 
Lou, what do you think? Are you taking Ancelotti? Yeah, I would take him, to be fair. He's got a proven... I mean, Pellegrini's got a proven track record, but <laughs> Ancelotti's obviously on a on a different level to Pellegrini's. Uh, like you say, uh, he's not doing great in Serie A, but uh, he's, just, he's just got through to the knockout stages of the Champions League, so they'll they'll probably keep him on to see how we can progress further in that competition. But if it came to it, if we got an interim at the end, uh, till the end of the season, and it came to it at the end of the season that he leaves Napoli, and uh, we had the chance to take him, I definitely would take him. I mean, 60's not that old. I mean, he's seven years younger than Pellegrini, to be fair. So. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah, would you take Ancelotti? You know, despite all of his uh, kind of accomplishments and what he's done over his career, and despite that he is younger than Pellegrini, and we were all kind of crying for somebody younger, I'd, I'd probably go with no. And um, it might come, I guess, as a bit of a shock, but really, I think what we talked about before and what we kind of hope coming into this position is somebody that can kind of springboard us up. And whether that is youth, uh, you know, if that's just a younger guy coming in with a different kind of mindset, that's going to move things in the right direction. And, uh, I guess that comes into question, too, because who knows what even might happen. Will the board let that happen? But for me, I would say no. Yeah, I'm on the no the no section as well. I think get someone young in and give them appropriate funds. If you're going to get someone like Ancelotti in, then you're going to have to basically write him a blank check and let him make his own squad, um, whether that's completely erasing all the players he has and moving on from them or not. Uh, I just think that West Ham's not going to do that, so he's probably not the man for the job. Uh Jeremiah, we'll start back with you again. Noble made his 500th appearance for the club against Arsenal. Will we ever see this achievement again from a West Ham player? You would hope so. Uh, but I think the way that just kind of the way football is going these days, and not just football, but any major professional sport, it's not it's just not the same anymore. You don't see guys staying and hanging out with the same team and same club for their entire career. So unfortunately, I'm going to say no, but man, what an accomplishment that is. Lou? Sorry, can you say the question again? I are, didn't catch the first bit. Are we ever going to see another West Ham player make 500 appearances for the club? Well, uh, I mean, it's difficult to call, but I don't think we will in the, you know, in the in the near future, just based on prices uh, and the money in football at the minute. I mean, you'd like to think Declan Rice would, but. I can't see him staying more than two seasons. I mean, he might do based on if we do get a competent manager and to make a genuine push to go forward. But I think eventually he'll get snapped up. I mean, it takes a balance of someone being good enough for West Ham, Noble, but not too good for us, Noble. And I don't think anyone has realistically ever really come in for him maybe in his youth days but ever since as loyal as he has been no one has really made a bid for him so it's kind of just been like a a straight path to those 500 appearances although I do appreciate him greatly Scott do you think we'll see another Mark Noble-esque player with 500 appearances uh, probably not I mean I will uh, throw it out there just I the stat is slightly wrong uh, he's made 500 league appearances now, so that includes a handful for, I think, Hull and Ipswich, where he went on loan uh-huh. uh, in like 2005, 2007 time. 
Uh, he has, um, I think that was 500th league appearance. So he is, I think, about 15, uh, maybe 20 short of that for the West Ham. Despite that, he is an exceptional sorry, like show of uh, loyalty. Uh, as Lou said, he hasn't been subject to like, massive money bids or anything like this, like big teams chasing him necessarily. But to have that consistency throughout, uh, I mean, we, we've talked for the last couple of seasons, uh, well, maybe even three, where uh, is Mark Noble got a space in the side anymore. People come in, they replace him, and then he just wins his place back. Um, I don't know what it is uh, necessarily about him, his attitude, his commitment in the dressing room. There's something there. He just stays. He stays around, and he stays in the side. It's not just about being in the team, uh, in the squad for that long, but he stays in the first eleven. And I think that's incredible. Yeah, my heart says, uh, yeah, Declan Rice is going to do it, but my brain says no, <laughs> he's not going to do it. Um, I, I, I wish, I wish we had that sort of, um, you know hard-nosed player that just says like no i, I want to win i want to do it here that's what i want give the armband to that guy but i don't know i just don't see it um okay so uh the final question here comes from talk of west ham at talk of west ham retweeted by uh retweet retweeted by hammers polls sorry uh and there are three options here which would you prefer for the january transfer window keep pellegrini and spend cheap boss and spend a little or spend zero and get benitez what are your thoughts there scott um, I would. I think our squad isn't horrendous. I think we've got players there that can definitely keep us up. I would rather us get a decent manager in, and set that as our long-term goal. And then summer is where we spend, because if <clears throat> I don't think we're going to have enough money, whatever we do in January, to really get the issues we want sorted. Uh, we've been crying out for a fullback. We've been crying out for a real box-to-box midfielder, uh, someone who is just more dynamic than what Noble brings, uh, passing-wise. Um, I don't think we're going to have the money in January to do that. So I think getting a manager in who can work out what system he's going to play with the squad and go from there, I think that's that's our best shout. Lou, what do you think? What are those options? Are you going to take a cheap boss, spend a little and move on like Scott? Or are you going to spend zero and get Benitez or keep Pellegrini and spend big? Yeah, I know it's all hypothetical, but I would uh, go for Benitez and sadly spend nothing in January. Um, though Benitez obviously had those kind of problems at Newcastle so I don't see why he would come here if he was promised nothing in the January he's just kind of like groundhog day for him if that was the case but hypothetically I would take Benitez because I think he would sort out our problems on the pitch to a degree to take us to a level where we can then go and hopefully spend and sort out our problems in the summer and Jeremiah what do you think yeah, can I make a little uh, a little change to that last part and say instead of Benitez, maybe put like Kovac or Kovac, however he says that. Um, I think bringing in, spending nothing and bringing in a, a big manager would be what I would want. Maybe it's not Benitez necessarily, but there's a couple other big names out there I would prefer. So I guess I'll go with that option, but maybe throw my own little adjustment on there. Perfect. Yeah, I, I see. For me, I would take a cheap boss and spend a little. I am setting my sights on the Cowley brothers or Lee Bowyer. 
or however you say his last name, uh, in Charlton right now. Um, those two teams actually played each other with Huddersfield. Get in someone who's going to focus on fitness. Spend a little if you need to, to buy a fullback or, or, or a midfielder right away. I mean, if they if they sacked Pellegrini on Monday and brought in one of those guys, they would have you know a fair few amount of matches to assess the squad. But also, you would force them to, to, to lean and rely on the academy more. And I think that... Uh, a British manager would probably embrace these young kids coming up through the system. Uh, Eddie Howe and, and Dyche certainly would as well, uh, if that's who West Ham decided to go for. So that's that would be my move. Cheap boss, spend a little, rely on the academy. Hell, we are the academy of football after all. But uh, that should do it for us here at Green Street Hammers and uh, in the Green Street Hammers podcast, episode 47 in the books. Uh, hopefully, the next time we chat... West Ham win, and they sack their manager as well, and we get in someone we're all happy about, and everything's going to be fine and dandy, and realistically, we've sucked hard enough in the first half of the season to be in the bottom of the table. We can play strong enough in the second half to jump up into the top 10 again. That's my belief. That's what I'm telling myself, and it helps me sleep at night a little bit easier. Uh, From all of us here, uh, thanks for listening, and come on, you irons. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.